This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. All right, let's get this kicked off. What's up, Wildcatters? Welcome to another week of Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. Got a uh, show that... I like doing these shows where I just don't know anything about my guests. I don't say that disrespectfully. Just say I haven't talked to them. Clean slate. So, <laughs> clean, clean slate. But we got <laughs> Greg from Long Path uh, Tech, right? Yeah, so, that's right. All right, Long yep. Path Tech. So tell me real quick, what is Long Path? Yeah, so Long Path, like the name, is a, it's a, we're the 5G of methane detection. So it's, it's a system, sits in the middle of the oil field. It covers a 13,000 acre range. It's got a laser system that sweeps around and we're looking for emissions. We're looking for emissions of H2S, of CO2, of methane, all of those things quantifying. From Did you say 13,000 acres? acres? Yeah, with one system. That's crazy. So that's kind of the, you know, I know on your prior podcasts, you've had some of the other sensor types that come yeah. out and kind of do the box on the pad. Yeah. We do the box across the region. So yeah. think of it more like telecom meets methane detection. I'm going to need to see some pictures of this thing. It sounds, yeah. it sounds wild. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> so, okay. Let's, um, this is obviously a big topic is methane. Is. Um, not only methane detection, but, um, just being able to record and, um, document, yep. um, methane is something that is very important and something that a lot of oil and gas companies are focusing on. How did you get into this? Yeah, this was, uh, this was not, not the path I had planned on. So, <laughs> you know, this is the name long path, you know, comes from these long laser beams that we shoot out over miles, but it's also the, this is a technology we were working on before we knew this was much of an issue. Okay. So I, you know, I did my PhD at Stanford doing laser sensing okay. and I think, you know, what they don't tell you about the PhD is by the end of the PhD, you're ready to, you're ready to be done with whatever it was you're doing. <laughs> I imagine so. It's like a long <laughs> horse race. And in the middle of the horse race, the horse dies and you get off the horse and you beat the horse for a while. And then you realize it's not coming back. And so then you drag it over the line. Got to drag it along. So that was me and laser sensing. Um, and so I finished there and then I kind of did what every, every kid out in the Bay area wants to do, right. Is start a company. And so, um, I left laser sensing. I went in, I, we, started a little company on um, sort of tabletop particle accelerators that you could use to make isotopes for medical imaging. And um, very interesting, do not recommend. <laughs> it's a, it's a, that's a technology that needs, you know, decades more to, yeah. to, to be there. And so we did that for three years. I got the taste, you know, and of, of um, sort of entrepreneurship and all that. And, and uh, it was a rough go, you know, those years. So I'm from Colorado. I went okay. back to Colorado. Um, and call it like Colorado at the time, there was a technology there that had just won a Nobel prize. It's called a frequency comb. It's a laser that kind of, you know, your laser pointer emits like red light, blue light, green light, whatever. Yeah. This is a laser that emits hundreds of thousands of colors of light all at the same time. And so it's called a frequency comb. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so we took, we, you know, I seen this technology for years cause it won that Nobel prize in Colorado and. Um, at the time that I originally saw it, it was this, this was like big, you know, optical tables in a laboratory and scientists sort of, you know, leaning over and, and tweaking this and that and the other thing. 
But around that time, they had it had made the jump into like communications fiber, you know, the same telecom fiber that takes our internet from point A to point B or whatever. It made the jump into that platform, you know, so you could make the lasers inside of optical fibers and stuff. And so I thought, okay, this is, this is like ready for prime time. And so I went to the National Institute of Standards and Technology, that's NIST, Mm -hmm. um, came back, didn't want to do anything entrepreneurial. You know, I'd done that. I was, I was (laughs) licking my wounds, you know, coming back and, um, Walked into the laboratory and and it was like is a little bit like walking into, you know, an old garage mm-hmm. and there's like a dusty Ferrari in the corner and you're like, oh, can I drive that? You know, and and the physicists that were all there were like, oh, yeah, that old thing. Give it a go, you know. Yeah. And um, and so we, it was a great time. I, I, I took this kind of technology that they were working on and together with those physicists, we started kind of shooting it out the window of NIST and uh, showing that we could measure like methane, CO2, all these different gases, just incredibly precise levels over long distances. So I went from there to University of Colorado as a professor, um, continued to work with the NIST folks, and I got the Department of Energy to kick in some money. and And we basically said, let us take this table of stuff and make it into a little rack and get it out into the oil field. Because that was that was probably like 2014 when okay. there was like a lot of awareness coming up around yeah. emissions and, you know, the U.S., we were booming in terms of, of production and yeah. unconventional production and that sort of thing. Okay. I have a lot of questions for yeah. you, um, <laughs> especially around laser tech. Um, but first, yeah, let's continue on your journey. How did you figure out the application? I mean, you just say, let's go use this in the oil field, but... How did, How did that, that make about? that yeah. jump? Yeah. yeah. So it was, so we, we had done these measurements. We, sh- we sent it out the window and we were showing we could measure like part per billion changes in methane. And that's like a, you know, drop of water in the Olympic sized swimming pool is what people say. And um, so around that time, Department of Energy was starting to, they put out a call and they said, we want technologies that can monitor continuously around oil and gas operations for very low cost. And so we were thinking, all right, this technology, we can shoot it three miles, four miles, whatever it is. Let's take that. These, these operations are really dense. And let's take that system and spread that cost over all those different operations. Mm-hmm. So we put in an app. They gave us a, a couple million dollars to like get started. Yeah. So we built the team. The founding team is still the folks so that the are So the Department of Energy puts out a proposal saying yeah. that, hey, we need technology that can monitor methane around exactly. oil and gas assets. Yep. You guys say, hey, we've been tinkering with this technology. We think that yep. we can do it. Um, you get a grant from DOE for a couple million dollars. Um, what year? What year yeah, was that? Yeah, that was 14. That was 14. Okay, yeah. cool. And so this is long before, like, you know, we'd go to these conferences, you know, the, the and have folks from Pioneer and everybody else. And they were like, oh, you know, continuous monitoring. Like, no one gave a shit about yeah, it. That, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's a, what a fun problem you're working on, you know. Yeah. It's a, and, uh, you know, not, not so relevant right now. And, um, uh, but you know, we, like, we got it out there and we, we took a, I mean, this was a great moment for the team. We took, we, we got this thing mobilized. So we shrunk it down into a tiny little cabinet mm-hmm. that could like go out and work in, you know, Colorado extremes, not some, you know, yeah. not as extreme as some places, but we took it out to the field and we took just a little tank of methane and we walked it out a mile and then we set it up and set it to leak. And then we, turned on the laser and the, basically the way we do is we sort of bracket the you know we send a laser beam on one side and send a laser beam on the other side and let the wind sort of blow across and you can see this tiny little change in how much methane there there's measured by one beam 
Interesting. So and, yeah, it's essentially you're measuring across a it's a cross a cross section, so you can see a, a change between. Exactly. Two points Ex of the beam. Exactly. Exactly. Like you know, we just send a beam like the way we do it now. You send a beam on either side of a facility, like a multi-well pad or something. Yeah. And then as the wind blows across, you'll see more methane on one side than you see on the other on the downwind side. Then mm -hmm. you know you've got emissions on that pad. Okay. So we so we did this with like a little tank, and we started a leak that was probably about like a quarter of the breathing rate of a human, and turned it on and see this little change. Oh, wow. we, yeah, we were all like, wow, that really worked. Because, you know, when you write these proposals, you're like, oh, yeah, you know, we're, you know, we're going to shrink this down and we'll put it out in the field. And yeah. then, you know, everything's going to work, you know, and then, and then it gets funded and you go, shit, what did I do? We got to go do yeah. it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, we turned it on and it, it worked. And, and so that was the beginning, you know, really. So we, we thought, OK, this tech works. So then what ARPA-E did is, is, um, is uh, they said, Okay, you know, you hit all these milestones, you shrunk it down, you made it robust, you showed that it can, you know, get these whiffs of gas far away. Um, it's got to have a commercial pathway. And so they said, we'll give you a little bit more, but you need to find a company that will commercialize this. Mm -hmm. And so we looked around and we're like, okay, anybody out there building frequency combs? Anybody out there, you know, in the oil field? Like, no, the answer is no. So that's, we're back back to like, hey, look, we got to do this ourselves. We got to yeah. start it ourselves. So... It's interesting that you brought up, you know, 2014, no oil yeah. and gas companies cared about this. Um, fast forward to today, 2022, yeah. a lot of every company is, is yeah. looking Thinking at about it, it. And talking yep. about it. For sure. And one, not just from a sustainability um, perspective, but also, I mean, you're losing money when right. your product is <laughs> evaporating and or uh, being leaked into the air. So that's one thing that I think is so cool about methane uh, detection and monitoring yep. is that it's both a sustainability and economic play. Um, Absolutely. Yep. And it, I tell people in climate this all the time is that oil and gas companies are incentivized to reduce methane leaks because yeah. it's literally their product going into the air. So yeah. now a lot of companies are looking at it. And as you mentioned, you know, we've had a bunch of technologies yep. on yep. the show um, that all utilize uh, different ways of uh, doing this and continuous monitoring. Um, really, it, it hasn't been something that's been available. It seems yeah. like to oil and gas companies until yeah, until recently. Um, so I have a lot of questions on lasers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let me give you some context here because you'll yeah, appreciate yeah. Good, this. Good. So I started roughnecking and drilling wells back in 2010, um, okay. right out of high school. And I get out there, and this is before shale, like right before shale had really, really kicked off. Yeah. Pioneer Natural Resources didn't even have a horizontal program. Yet. Wow. So yeah. that shows you yeah. um, kind of time frame. How fast that's um, coming. And the rig I'm working on, I'm working on a rotary rig. Uh, we're throwing tongs. We don't have top drives. We don't have uh, iron rough necks. The rig I worked on looked like a rig from the 40s. Yeah. Um, you know, I see old pictures. I'm like, holy shit, it's the same <laughs> exact. <laughs> yeah. And so um, sitting there all the time um, drilling these wells, and I'm a pretty, like, I like to geek out and just think about better ways that we could do things. Yep. And I start thinking about drilling with lasers. And yeah, yeah. Um, right along the same time, uh, School of Mines, yep. um, you know, I go to Google and I see that School of Mines right then had started standing up a program around drilling with lasers. 
And anyways, um, a couple of years ago, my uh, cousin, he's a um, uh, astrophysicist. And I said, hey, you know, I'm really interested in the idea of drilling with lasers. And his response is like, man, lasers, lasers some of the hardest. I mean, it's one of the <laughs> hardest areas of science <laughs> sure. uh, today. He's like, I don't yeah. know if we're there yet to drill, <laughs> drill lasers. But one yeah. of his professors has, you know, like 20 something patents and right. laser tech. And anyways, um, I, I just find lasers to be really fascinating. And um, I don't know much about how they're actually used, though. So and yeah. I'm sure a lot of my uh, listeners on this podcast are also in the same bucket as me yeah. as well. So let's talk about laser technology, um, the development, yeah. you know, where are we at today with lasers? And then, you know, you've already alluded to, you know, how the technology works, but I'm still trying to wrap my mind around how can you, how does it yeah, actually work? Yeah. How does yeah. it actually work? <laughs> yeah. So can you break this down for someone yeah. like myself that's uh, not a scientist or a PhD in the, in the, in the, scope of lasers. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so it's a cool process. So there's, there, there, there is, I, by the way, I think there is a company that is doing drilling with lasers. Quays. Yep. Yeah. Quays is, uh, and there's been a few and, yep. um, it's, it's a rough game, but yeah, 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 they're trying. So, so there, what you have is this extremely high power laser. I mean, just tons and tons of power in the laser. That's so the, the lasers we use, not nearly as powerful. Like, mm -hmm. so if one of these goes into your eye, nope, you won't even notice. You won't see it because <laughs> it's in the infrared. Yeah. So, and that's the key to how this works. So, so what this, like, what's cool about the frequency comb, I mentioned it shoots out, you know, hundreds of thousands of colors of light. What turns out a methane like molecule or a molecule like methane, you've got like a carbon, you've got some hydrogens. And that that molecule sort of is always bouncing around, sort of jiggle like the hydrogens are bouncing mm -hmm. around compared to the carbon. So if you send in light that is the right amount of energy to make one of those vibrating methane molecules change to like a different vibrational state, it'll absorb the light. Mm. And it happens at very, very, very specific energies. That's the quantum part of this, right? Yeah. The, the molecules, and I this gets even beyond my pay grade. I they only exist at certain energies. Yeah. So you send in this light at right, just the right energy. And so like 1654.1 nanometers or whatever, yeah. that's the right energy. The methane will absorb it. And CO2 absorbs different wavelengths yeah. and water different wavelengths. Yeah. And they're, but they're all intersport, interspersed. So. Yeah. It depends on the molecule. Exactly. How, yeah. Yep. So we okay. take this laser, it's got hundred thousand colors, shoot it out. And then we bounce it off something in the field. Right now, to keep things eye safe, we put little reflectors on the pads of the you know, operators that we're going to measure. That bounces the light back. And when it gets back, if you look at those specific wavelengths where, the, you know, where you should see methane absorption, you do see it. And then how much absorption of the laser you got tells you how much methane was there. How much CO2 so there's there's an point. actual calculation that yep. you can see. Okay, the laser absorbed this much, and that exactly. quantifies how much yep. methane there yeah, is. Yeah, I, I like I shoot it out, and twenty percent of my light comes back. This I is say, cool. Okay, shit, man. I know how much there is. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> so then, but the trick, the hard part though, is actually, um, you know, there's methane everywhere. Yeah. There's cows making methane. We're making methane. You know, and uh, so what you what you need the trick is that you actually need to figure out how much methane is coming from the facility you're looking at. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we do this thing where we sort of bracket the bracket the facility and then we look at the methane flowing in and then we look at the methane flowing out and we look for a change. Okay. And that's what's been added by Yeah, because you have to be able to quantify that differential of what's actually coming in. Exactly. Okay. Yep. So that's that's kind of the laser, you know, it's funny everybody's like, "Oh man, that laser sounds really hard." 
I'd say the harder part was actually shooting the laser three miles and getting the light back. And then the other hard part was figuring out like, how do I actually, you know, how do actually I make fencing it and quantifying? How do I get rid of the cow? Yeah. Because I gravitate you know? towards yeah. the technology of the laser. Cause that's the cool shit. But yeah. then the actual, yeah. and it's always funny. Anytime you build uh, a solution or go yeah. to execute, you actually figure out what's the hard part. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the hard part for you guys is actually yeah. being able to get it back and then quantify hey, what's coming in, what's yeah, going yeah. out. Yeah. Telescopes and all this stuff. Yeah. 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 That's, that's been interesting. And and learning, like, how, do, how can I get an oil and gas company, like, how can we give them the data that's useful to them? Yes. That, that's huge. Yes. And, and I think that's, you know, there's a lot of companies out out you know, doing this type of stuff, not quite the same way long path does, but other ways of monitoring continuously. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, I think it's a battle of not, you know, it's not a battle. There's plenty of space for everybody, but like, you know, who can give that data to the operator and make it useful for them? Yeah. That's a big thing too, is that raw data is not useful yeah. to companies. And I think a lot of people are starting to figure this out. You have to be able to give data yeah. that's important to an operator right. and give context around that data. Yeah. Shroud data dumps don't help yeah. Yeah, anyone. Sure. I mean, yeah. this is an industry that already is drowning in data. Yeah. And so it doesn't help them if you just pile on more data oh, without yeah. Yeah. Um, context or um, useful data sets. And then another thing that it's interesting that you brought up is really kind of the gap between science and then commercialization of a product that's because right. there's a big difference between having a solution yes. um, that's uh, driven by scientists, yep. engineers, and then actually being able to take that and commercialize it and sure. figure out, hey, is where is the product market fit within these companies and how's it useful to yeah. them? So that's, that's what's taken years. And it's taken years for the, the you know, we, it, we were lucky. We were, we were kind of working out all the details of how to make the tech work and mm -hmm. get all the, you know, get the price in the right spot and all that kind of stuff in time for people to start wanting continuous feedback, yeah. you know, and that, that, that timing has just been. Yeah. Let's talk perfect. about that a little yeah. bit, because obviously we talked about 2014 era, yeah. you guys get the grants, you start developing the technology, but the industry wasn't necessarily yeah. needing it then yeah um and then you fast forward eight years to where we're at today yeah. and uh, obviously it's something that the industry is demanding so yeah. uh let's talk about that eight-year gap uh, yeah what happens then. Right. yeah what what happens i mean you got you told me that you had that oh shit moment where you gotta yeah. go figure out how to actually uh execute and commercialize the technology yeah. tell me actually let's yeah. pause real quick because you said it's a small um you know Cabinet. Little cabinet. Yeah. yeah. Um, so give me a mental image of what yeah. this actually looks like. Yeah, it kind of, you know, it looks like a like a an electrical box or something. Okay. You know, smaller than a transformer, but same thing. Just it's this really unassuming little beige box. See, it's kind of boring. I was hoping it's gonna be like a Tesla tower. Yeah, no, if, yeah. <laughs> if you open it up, there's lights flashing and it makes beeps and you know, does this kind of stuff. But but yeah, I tell I tell people because you know you got this tower. Some some people are calling us the eye of Sauron. You know, yeah. the, 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 this all-seeing eye that looks yeah. around the field. Um, unfortunately, the all-seeing eye is in the infrared, so we can't see it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, you can't even so see it. So what you see yeah. is this little telescope on top of a tower, and it's just kind of moving. Yeah, around in the okay. circle, you know, because it's surveying each of the facilities as it's going around. How uh, how tall is this? Is this we use fifty feet in the Permian and the okay. Anadarko, the DJ. You know, gets gets most that lets us get out two three miles. Okay, uh, fifty feet, and then the monitoring. Um, 
does that happen across the entire 50 feet or are there certain so, points? Yeah, no. So at the very top, there's this, there's a telescope okay. and that telescope is it's on a gimbal that points it. Okay. And so we point it at a facility and then we shoot the laser beam out and then it bounces off this little reflectors that we place on either side of the facility. Yeah. It bounces back and actually goes right back into the same telescope. Okay. And then that's where we measure like, okay, how much light is missing at this wavelength for methane? Got gotcha. you. So then how much methane is there? So what's cool about it, and this is kind of getting back to the product market fit and like yeah. the economics is you've got, you've, it's, it's super scalable. You've, you've got one point that's covering 13,000 acres. So that's one point for power, one point for communications, which we all know is, is difficult out there in parts of the Permian. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, all that processing and everything is done right there on the node we call it. And mm -hmm. then, and then we've just got one cellular link that sends the data back on all those facilities. Got you. And so to give some scale, it's a thousand of these to cover the entire Permian basin. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it sounds like a big number, but if we're talking about little point sensors at like five per pad or something. Permian basins yeah. big when, yeah, you, when you're actually out yeah, there. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's why we kind of say 5g of methane, right? It's like, you know, there's just, it's yeah. like a cellular model. Yeah. And so it lets us have a really good sensor, you know, this Nobel Prize winning crazy frequency comb thing, but low cost to the operators. Yeah. They're, they're subscribing up like a cell phone. Yeah. You know, they're like, I want data on this pad. Okay. That'll be this much a month. Cool. And then they, you know, they don't need to worry about what's, what's in the box. Yeah. So to speak. Um, I'll get back to my last question. I know I'm kind of going bouncing around right yeah, here well, but I'm, I'm helping us bounce around <laughs> yeah. so sorry about that <laughs> yeah the more you talk the more questions i get um but we've talked about the hardware component yeah. Yeah. of it is there a software component of yeah. it too um yeah. that's you know either visualizing uh the methane uh or um tell us about that that's critical that's critical because and and this is that eight years you know you'd asked about like mm -hmm. what's that eight years this was okay now we've got this shrunk down laser system it can sense stuff from far away how do we make that useful to the operator? That's that eight years. And, and also like, I can tell you every different way we broke that thing, you know, it's right down to like birds landing on telescopes and doing what birds do <laughs> after they eat, you know? And, um, so, so the, uh, something you never take into account. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. Bird activity. Yeah, yeah. The birds I'm out there do. like wiping, <laughs> wiping bird stuff off the yeah. telescope. And I'm thinking, I'm just a university professor. What the hell am I doing? You know? I love it. It's like you've uh, you've mastered uh, lasers and yeah. detecting methane, but some pigeon or dove is going to come run your planet. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, we've had to come up with you know all these different solutions to stop that kind of stuff from yeah. happening, right? So it's autonomous. I forgot your real. Oh, the software. Yeah. So so yeah. So what we so we built it into like successive you know we started just with the dashboard right so this you can see this like visual here's all my facilities green red is green means everything's good mm -hmm. red means there's a there's an issue on that facility that's causing an emission you click on that you then see the history of emissions on that facility and that's pretty cool since we're quantitative you can actually like see like oh this facility has been trending up and we've had tons of people go out and say oh my my somebody's change my VRU settings or something like that, right? And they switch that back, they can see it come back down. So there, there's that visualization. There's, there's so many companies, there's so many dashboards that can be a little overwhelming to people. Yeah. So the other thing we've got is just like a REST API and, yeah. they, and companies can go in with Spotfire or whatever and just grab the data and then put it next to everything else they got. 
Yeah. Um, and then finally, we just released like an MQTT pro- protocol where it'll just push the data to SCADA system. And that's that's been pretty cool because if you put this, you know, if you think about it, if something's going wrong out there, um, it, you know, so much of what might go wrong leads back to an emission of some type. Mm-hmm. So it's like a check engine light, you know, like yeah. on your car, you're driving down the road, check engine light goes on, number of different things that could be wrong. Um, but you need that early indicator to know you need to go in and get it checked, right? Yeah. So, so they put that next to like flare temp data, you know, tank pressure data, all these other things, and and you can pretty quickly start to say, oh, that's what's wrong. Yeah, yeah. I think the ability to have um, real time operational alerts yeah. to issues and facilities is that's definitely a space that's growing and yeah. is important. And you know, to your point there's definitely dashboard overload, oh, yeah. right? Because yeah. now I have your dashboard and I have a dashboard for this, this company that we're yep. using on a, on another thing. And all of a sudden I got 10 dashboards exactly. that I'm trying to bounce in be, between. And, yep. um, you know, even we, we see that at digital wildcatters between oh, yeah. all the tools that we use, I'm like, fuck, I need a centralized <laughs> operating system for digital wildcatters. Right. Cause I'm bouncing between all these dashboards. So yep. yeah, that's really important to be able to have API access or yeah. push it to SCADA, which yep. is also that's, interesting too. It's, it's been all customer driven, you know, they yeah. say, Oh, this is great. I'd like to see it on my own system. Yeah. Can you do that? We, we upgrade that. Yeah. And then all the rest of the customers love it too. Yeah. So I'm, um, imagining in that eight year period was a lot of customer feedback loops, um, figuring out what people, uh, did want, didn't want, you know, I'm sure that was also tough, um, during that time period, because like we said, you know, companies just didn't think that they needed it in in the first place. It might've been hard to even get in the door to get feedback on, on what they would think is important. Yeah. And I, you know, this is where like I've, you know, so I come from outside the oil and gas industry, right? Yeah. I was, you know, a laser scientist or whatever. Yeah. But, but there are a lot of companies that are that are far more advanced in the, that are thinking about this a lot harder than I think people give them credit for. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, the, you know, the for us, the first real commercial systems were going out in 2020. We did all these pre-commercial pilots. It's always a good idea. Go out, pick just a small number of people, put yeah. the systems out find out about the birds, find out about all these other things. Right. And while people aren't paying you to do it. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. <laughs> so we, so we had a kind of a grouping of companies that allowed us to come out and just try this mm-hmm. and we didn't charge them for it. And then we figured out all the ways it broke and, and they would give us feedback. Oh, it needs to be faster. We need more of this, more of that. That was great. In 2020, we thought, okay, we're ready to, you know, put the, put the long path, hard hats on, slap the sticker on the side of the truck and, and go down there and do a professional installation. So we started that in 2020. And, you know, shoot, first installation was in June 2020. That was three months into the pandemic. Oil, oil prices were tanking. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that might have been around that period where things went negative and everything. Yeah. These guys stuck with it. They were, they were like, no, keep going. It, like, this is really interesting. We want you to keep That's going. That's cool. Yeah. And, um, and, and we, we worked together with them. You know, they said, hey, we're, you know, we're experiencing cost pressure. And so we, we uh, you know worked with them on pricing and all yeah. that kind of stuff but but no these companies have been they've been plowing ahead let's talk I'm, about I'm impressed yeah let's talk about that a little bit um gotta hate how how i'm just all over the place with my questions <laughs> because one let me ask you this question before i ask you my next question 
Sure. And try to keep your answer short so you don't throw me off and give me right. five more questions Sorry, to yeah, ask yeah. you. <laughs> no, usually I want long answers, but <laughs> I'm so fascinated by this. My mind's going everywhere. You brought up a comment earlier about um, elements and elements yeah, being yeah. different between Colorado and Texas. That's right. What elements affect this technology? Um, I'm sure uh, just geographical landscape, um, hills, yeah. mountains are going to affect range. Yeah, where you go out to the Permian Basin, it's flat as can be. You yeah. know, you probably <laughs> go full, yeah. full range. But full what other yeah. elements affect um, the technology? Yeah. So the so I, I what I tell people there's it, like if it's snowing or if it's raining, that's fine because because what's interesting is like snow and rain, they also absorb the laser beam, but they absorb all the colors. Okay. Whereas methane absorbs these very specific it's colors. Very specific. Of light, right. Okay. So so even though like you know the whole beam gets 20% knocked out by rain d- during rainstorm. You still see the dips at the certain wavelengths because of methane. So okay. it'll, it'll run through that. Okay. Um, we like wind because wind blows those plumes around. It gives us better quantification. Yeah. Um, uh, the only thing is if we get really dense fog or, or really heavy snow, you know, so okay. like during a, you know, during a really heavy snowfall in Colorado, that's a time, like if you can't see a mile, the system probably won't be able to see them that gotcha. much further than you. So, okay. but you know, it's also a time when people aren't going to be running around trying to fix things probably. Yeah. So, so um, does temperature affect lasers? The at reading? All? Yeah. So that, yeah, laser loves to be at a sort of nor- at, at its own temperature. Yeah. So that's, we got that little cabinet. Okay. That little cabinet's got some temperature control on it. Okay. But then when you shoot out the laser light, this, this whole thing about the methane molecules vibrating and they absorb the light that happens at any temperature it happens at any pressure okay um so the the actual reading is is unaffected by got you so it doesn't matter if you're up in the Bakken in north dakota or no. down in the heat yeah. in texas yeah. okay. furthest north we've been is calgary and that that's rough territory it's up pretty, there it's yeah. pretty it's pretty Flat, north <laughs> windy. yeah it's not a lot of sun <laughs> yeah. yeah so so it's uh um and we and we handle that just fine it's okay it's all you just got to keep that laser you know okay yeah you keep it all right, about to do a hard shift on you right now because you talked about I don't come from oil and gas. Yeah. You know, you came from, um, you did your uh, PhD at Stanford, um, came from out of the industry. What's it been like working in oil and gas? How yeah. has your mind, you know, changed one way or another since working in the industry coming out? Like any, yeah. you have any preconceived notions about oil and gas? Um, yeah. I'm always interested. I think it's it's been surprising to see the scale of it. You know, I, I think your your average American has not been through parts of West Texas and like e- even the Denver Julesburg Basin. You know, there's that's it's kind of east of where everybody sees, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so the scale of the industry is is unbelievable. You know, and yeah. uh, and then I think and and I think seeing like the the kind of American system of having all these different companies, you know, interspersed with each other, and that, anyway, this yeah. just been fascinating to learn. But but honestly, like you know. We have not, people have been really interested in the technology. People have been really kind of open-armed about it. We, you know, we get the occasional, we actually, we kind of knew we made it as a company when we got our first few pieces of hate mail through the, uh, you know, <laughs> submit your questions in the contact box. And yeah. people said, oh, take that liberal stuff back to Colorado. Or, you know, and we laughed and we're like, all right, we made it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a positive, positive signal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, people are, are, are seeing and hearing about um, it. Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to uh, one of my friends who is also a PhD, and um, 
She's long time in the oil and gas industry, especially yep. when it comes to robotics. And she's yep. one of the smartest people I know. And um, she's telling me that a she advises a startup and they went and pitched a top tier VC. I won't say the VC's name, but yep. everyone knows them. And yep. she's like, Colin, they have no idea about offshore yep. oil and gas. Like they had no idea that there's many cities out there. Yep. And she said that they keep calling her, like ask just very curious about this whole world of yeah. oil and gas and energy offshore and yep. they just had no understanding yep. and it's some you know you can't blame people outside of energy for not understanding right. because they've never i mean this is one of digital wildcatters main objectives is yep. to teach the world about energy and raise energy yep. iq and just the scale of oil and gas alone not just energy on yep. a broader level but yeah. oil and gas is massive Incredible. just an upstream Yep. And then you go talk about midstream and downstream yep. and that it's hard to wrap. Even for me, someone yeah. that spends my, I mean, I've spent every day in the industry, um, yeah. my adult life. And it's hard for me to wrap my head around yeah. how big and, it is. And I think it's, you know, the other thing I've learned is, and I, I, I don't know where I heard the term coined, but there's, there's like city solutions and there's field solutions for things, you know, and all <laughs> that was thought up, up in the city, you know? And I think like th that's, that's where we've seen other, other, technologies stumble is they they spend too much time up figuring out the city solution and not enough time going down and asking the guy that has to respond to the alert hey what'd you like about this and what didn't you like about this i just recorded a podcast an hour ago yep. um with tad wallace and tad comes from the field just like me he's yep. all tatted up you know he yeah, talks yeah, like yeah talks like a roughneck like i talk and we literally just went on a rant about this that yeah a lot of the technological solutions come from people at the field level because it's like, yep. you know, the bird, the bird issue, like yeah. you, you start figuring out what actually works. And, um, you know, I didn't go to university and, um, used to get in a ton of arguments with, uh, petroleum engineers like, yep, that's just not going to work. And yep. I know like, it works on paper. I'm like, nope, not yeah. going to work out in the field. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, promise exactly. you. And exactly. so, yeah. um, yeah, you and see that a lot but, with tech. As but well. that's where the opportunity is. And, mm -hmm. and that's, it's, what's interesting about investing is, kind of traditional, you know, you know, traditional Bay Area investor or something, they they don't understand what's actually happening out here and, yeah. and how much opportunity there is if you get it right. You know why that that's why this podcast I know, exists. And I, I appreciate this podcast. To, I, I too, to, you know 2018, so, yeah. like BCs did not know, hey, where can I go learn about oil and gas yep. and tech? And there wasn't a place. So yeah. we started a podcast called yeah. Oil and Gas Startups. Yep. This is, <laughs> that's, yeah, we're we're here fantastic. today. So yep. yeah. And uh one of my favorite comments I've ever got um, about this podcast was from a Stanford PhD. Nice. I don't know him. Saw it on LinkedIn. He tagged uh, tagged Digital Wildcatters. He said, I can't believe I just listened to an hour-long podcast about oil and gas, and I actually enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> that was like one of my favorite because I was like, okay, yep. if I can get someone at Stanford that uh, was never interested in oil and gas yeah. prior, and That's so they listened time. to it. Not only did they listen to it, they enjoyed it, then uh, we're, we're doing good work yeah. of yeah. telling the stories. No, but it's important work. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, this is one I'm going to be hitting you up sometime soon because you I'm come just, out and see a system. Do, yeah. I want to come see the system. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a no brainer. That's one thing that sucks about this podcast is I have to sit here and use my imagination and yeah. of our listeners, but I actually want to come see this shit yeah. in action. Yeah. That's, and, uh, that's, and that's one of the challenges with customers, you know, is, is, is you kind of say, okay, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have this system three, three miles away, alarm you, you know, when you, when you've got a dump valve that's stuck, you know, and, and, uh, they just have, they have to see it to believe it. You know? Yeah. So we, so we're, you know, we do a lot of pilots, right. So that 
you know, yeah. people. But but as we've done more and more, then they talk to each other, right? And they're saying, yeah, yeah, that guy's telling the truth. The hardest thing about this industry is no one ever wants to be first. But yeah. once you get some pilots going and people get comfortable with yeah. it, then uh, usually it starts to domino I've, effect. I've, I've heard that the, nobody wants to be or everybody wants to be first be second yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so exactly we see that yeah, yeah exactly and i mean it makes sense um you know this industry is used to um a lot of uh drilling completion technology yeah. where something goes wrong people die and yeah. so yeah. there's uh, pretty big ramifications both from safety and economic risk because look i've trashed some 10 million dollar well bores in my time <laughs> you know yeah. it it happens when things don't go well and yeah. so um there's a lot to take into consideration yeah. when adopting new technology yeah. um i want to round this out with talking about y'all's model you kind of alluded yeah. to this a minute ago about going off of a subscription model yeah. almost like a cell phone um dive into that a little bit and how you guys think about and you know these things change over time but yeah um, as of now, how do y'all think about the business model um, yeah. for oil and gas companies that want to use this? Yep. So we do, we do it. It's we think of it like a telecom build. You know, so we we put up the capital to put the system in, and then for the facilities that get monitored, you know, in a in a thirteen thousand acre area, you might be looking at between ten and twenty sort of high value, you know, horizontal facilities. A number of other like mm -hmm. conventional. The um, so what we do is we we kind of charge an, an installation fee just to get out there, put the reflectors on, and then um, and then we kind of charge a monthly fee, like your cell phone, right? So you you know, and I've heard the other companies doing this, but it's it's like kind of true telecom model. You pay a certain fee, get data for that facility. What's neat about the long pass system is we can like you know the the kind of point sensor approach, you know, where you put a point sensor on every asset. Mm -hmm. That cost scales linearly. Yeah. So if I want to do two facilities, twice the cost, three facilities, three times the cost. Yeah. Nice thing about long paths, the more facilities we cover, we can drive down cost. We can also decide how often we want to look at something. Yeah. So we could go out, we can hit high value facility over and over and over again, all through the day and night. But then maybe we want to ping like, a, you know, an old vertical, like once a month or something like that. Yeah. You know, and we can do that. Yeah. And we can charge a tiny, tiny amount of money. Yeah. So there's actually an element of economies of scale here exactly. to where, you know, the more assets that you actually have in that 13,000 acre yeah. range, um, it's going to be cheaper because yeah. you don't have a single point on each exactly. facility. So like in the early days of cell phone, you know, people would pay for a certain amount of data. Yeah. That's kind of the, the idea here. What's been interesting with cell phone is you see like now everybody's, you know, unlimited plan. Yeah. Right. A lot of, I've got a ton of Gen Zers on my team that, don't know that it used to cost 10 cents to, to send a text. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You have to pay for like the minute. Yeah. But, the, but, uh, um, so that's, that's where we kind of see it going is, is you start off, you know, kind of cleaning up the, 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 the bigger facilities and, and like getting after those big leaks fast, you know, which you mm -hmm. hear people talking about, but then, you know, we have the ability over time to kind of push down and give better and better data on all these facilities yeah. as, so, you know, we kind of, we see it as people ramping into, more and more data as they're ready for it right? yeah this isn't going to happen overnight yeah yeah that's so. um really fascinating way to think about the model and as you get critical mass and build up the network um yep. it it becomes cheaper yeah over time exactly yeah i like that a lot where are you guys um at in terms of 
the stage of the company. I mean, obviously yeah. you guys got DOE uh, grants that uh, carried you. Did y'all take any yep. uh, external capital See, outside of that? Yeah. yeah, so we did. We had sort of uh, Department of Energy and some other DARPA, others have funded this because there's other uses, right? Yeah. So you can, I've, I've actually taken one of these systems out of the field to Dayton, Dayton, Ohio. They've got ground test hypersonic engines there that the Air Force uses. And yeah. you could you can shoot the beams from the comb through a hypersonic engine and you can see what's happening inside the engine. Wow. Because <laughs> um, it's got methane in it too. It's yeah. got, you know, CO2, yeah. all the same stuff, right? Yeah. So we shoot it through. Um, so so actually Air Force has a long path system. But yeah. um, but the the um so there's you know, there's been a bunch of that kind of funding that came in. Yeah. That got us through, you know, getting from R to D, right? From the research mm-hmm. and the development. Um, then we started getting some customer revenue in 2020. That then triggered seed round. So yeah. we got through that. And then we're right in the middle of raising an A, getting oh, close cool. to cool. that. So um yeah. So yeah. And about, I don't know, 36 people, I think, right now. So. Awesome. Are you guys, uh, well, I know you You have some people based in Houston. Yep. Are y'all split between Denver and Houston or is everyone everywhere? Yep. So we've got uh, most, you know, most of the tech teams up in, in Denver. And then we've got, yeah, the team down here in Houston. And then we've got field crews um, in the Permian and now in the Denver Julesburg. And that's, that's the other cool thing is we, I think we've learned more from, from those guys out in the field doing the installations and saying, yeah. you know, if you did this. Yeah, I think that's that. what's really cool. Yeah. Um, like, I don't know if you know uh, Crusoe Energy yep. up there in Denver. Yep. Really good friends with them. And, you know, one thing that's cool about them is that they've learned so much from their, you know, they're so field hand centric. And yep. um, there's something to be said for listening to people that are on the ground. Even, yep. you know, when you're good, good petroleum engineers, listen yep. to their service hands and yep. have – uh, knowledge osmosis from the people that are around them. So yeah. that's uh, one thing that's really cool to me about uh, tech companies in the oil and gas space is both blending yeah. um, science, technology, also with yeah. the field hand um, yeah. experience and having that all in one company, one culture is pretty right. cool. Yeah. Yeah. And we can create good jobs down in these yeah. areas, you know, so yeah. the, the first couple of folks hired out of Midland just, just recently. And so it's very cool. Yeah. So we're excited about that. And, uh, I mean, I think, you know, I think the 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 kind of take home from this this model of you know you need a thousand of these to cover the basin or something, is one day I was I was in my car listening to you know the latest news and they were talking about how the last James Bond movie cost you know X hundred million dollars to, mm-hmm. to make to create this whole network is less than the cost of the last James Bond movie. Yeah, right. So the tech <laughs> is here, like. We just need to do this. Always right? blows my mind how much money they spend making that's movies. True. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. I just went and saw Top Gun a couple nights ago, and I'm like, "What's yeah. the fucking budget on a movie exactly. like this?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and like, where you know, where's our priorities, right? They're like, we're, we're that, that, like, that's what I'm alluding to is yeah. like, how many problems could we solve in yeah. the world if we uh, yeah. actually? Uh, yeah. But I mean, entertainment's where the money's yeah, at. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> they are pretty good movies. But. They're good movies too. I enjoy them so. But, so yeah. if someone's listening and they want to check out Long Path, um, how do they get in contact with you guys? What's y'all's website? Yeah, so uh, www.longpathtech.com. Longpathtech.com. And uh, yeah, Google it and, and we're starting to get more presence out there. You know, cool. since we were a bunch of tech founders and everything, we, we've we done 
we've done it. We're, we're, we're getting there on like our, you know, social media <laughs> presence and all this, but, but we spent so much time, you know, Actually, figuring out the bird problem. Yeah. We, yeah. <laughs> so now that we've got get, that, we're, figure out product and then you can work on distribution that's and, right, and right. marketing. So, so yeah, but we've got a presence there so cool. people can find us. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah. This is extremely fascinating. And guys, if you're uh, guys and gals, if you're listening and uh, want to check out long path, we'll drop a link in the show notes. Um, I'm sure sometime soon I'll be going out and getting this on video so we can actually see it because I want to see it. So awesome. I'll make that happen sometime soon. Thanks yeah. again. Sounds good. Thank you. Go, 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 go.